Hello and welcome to episode 170 of NCP. With a very, very excited Dave. Today. I'm so excited for this for this episode because uh, I feel like I feel like I'm about to do a drop, Dave. You'll oh, get that. Dude, you'll no. get that reference. I'm, it's, 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 I'm so excited that uh, I understand the nervousness that Rico had every time he went for a drop. Rico. <laughs> Rico. That'll make a lot more sense as we get into the episode. Yes, <laughs> My name is David, and we'll be the NCP crew. Richo. I'm not quite as excited as Dave is, but uh, I'll try to keep up my enthusiasm. <laughs> Enthusiasms? Well, when a man becomes preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasm. <laughs> preeminent. God, that's hilarious. Uh, Luke? So does Rico have to, you know, drop a package um, from a, um, a B-52 bomber, does he? Well, just like uh, Nutscapes, he just drops his package. <laughs> Why everyone finds that so fascinating? Because <laughs> Nutscaping is hilarious. If you're a what are two. You? I was about to say, what are you, 15 years old? <laughs> uh, so for those who don't know, Nutscaping is, uh, is the current online trend. Well, I say current, it's probably dead now. Of, uh, of uh, taking landscapes and then... Uh, Making sure that your testicles are in fact at the at the top of the of the picture, silhouetted, at silhouetted the top. in the in the picture for some reason. It is as stupid as it sounds. Yes, yes, stupid is definitely the word. <laughs> and Crystal, hello. <laughs> Who won't be nut bagging today? <laughs> nut scaping. Nut bagging. I'm always nut bagging. <laughs> I just remember like when you used to play Halo. Yeah, and you would like. Teabag people after you killed them. I've never teabagged anybody, Dave. I've been there playing (laughs) Halo and you've teabagged me. (laughs) That wasn't Halo, dude. (laughs) No! Oh, the humanity. For this episode, we have two dust jackets. Stop weeding wrong. (laughs) And uh, we list our top five examples of suspension of disbelief. Uh, That was uh, Crystal's suggestion, and I'll let her explain it when we actually get to that point of the show. Until then, I'm not allowed to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Until then, there'll be no more crystal. (laughs) Except uh, during my review. Well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. (laughs) Otherwise, it's going to be very one-sided. So let's uh, let's start off with our dust jacket number one, as is traditional, with Richard. Oh! I just want to preface this by saying that um, I've made an executive decision on the show uh, without actually consulting Dave. Um, That's a out lies. <laughs> yeah, well, that is true. <laughs> no, um, we've, we've jumped around on the sci-fi lists uh, quite a bit over the, the, the last couple of years, but what I thought we would do, it, it's time to actually finish off this top 20. Hmm. So um, there's about, what, six or seven books that we actually haven't covered? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, over the next uh, few dust jackets, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be going through each of the books that have kind of been left out as we've jumped onto other things. Um, which brings us to today's book, uh, which is Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein, uh, which is number 12. Number 12 on the uh, sci-fi list. The controversial classic. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to the controversy in a second. But a little background first of all. Um... The book was uh, written in 58 and first published in 1959. It went on to win uh, the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1960. And interestingly enough, um, then this really surprises me, and I'll get to why when we talk about the uh, nature of the book, but apparently Heinlein was actually writing Stranger in a Strange Land at this time as well. 
and he put it aside uh, to write Starship Troopers, which was originally serialised as Starship Soldier. Um, was written as a juvenile novel originally, but then it was rejected. Yeah, he kind of moved it into a teenage novel, and then it was accepted, but with some changes to actually make it an adult novel. Um, so yeah, it went through went through a bit of a change and upheaval before it was actually published, but obviously it worked for Heinlein because it won him a Hugo Award. It's a first-person narrative about a a young man called uh, Juan, but known as Johnny, Rico, um, who grows up in a well-to-do family, but uh, runs off to join the military. And then the rest of the story just goes through his basic training uh, to become a foot soldier. Then some missions he performs in that as he pretty much he elevates himself up the ranks by, you know, all of his seniors dying around him. (laughs) (laughs) And um, but I mean, he does, you know, he does some things. He's good at his job. Yeah, he does things to to merit uh, the advancements that he makes. Then uh, it's not quite as rapid as the movie version. No. Then we're off to uh, more training when he trains to become an actual officer. And then uh, the final big mission. And in amongst all of this, when he first joins, um, Earth is at peace. Well, as he de- as as the the main character describes, peace is a subjective term because there are always wars and things going on. But the world itself, generally speaking, they consider it at peace. By the time he's finished his training and everything, where um, Earth is at war against uh, bugs, the arachnids. Yeah, basically big spider monsters. And their allies. Hmm. But really, the big spider monsters and their allies are just a plot device. You learn just just the basic information you need to watch Johnny Rico blast the crap out of them on the battlefield or, or get blasted on the battlefield. That's, yeah. Um, that's, that's the end of the plot. That's, that's, that's it. Let's go straight into and, the and, and, this, and this segues beautifully into, uh, in, into my first problem with the book. Yeah. Um, it really has no story. None. It's, it's, it's like a training guide for the military. Yeah. You know, here's what you do when you go and train. And it is actually on the um, United States Navy and United States Marines reading list and is a favourite of the, of the military forces yeah. for that very reason. And, and he does actually dedicate the book yeah. to soldiers. Mm. Um, and it is, it's a very, very pro-military, pro-soldiery book. Yeah. Um, so my first problem, yeah, there's, there's no real story here. And because of that, there's a lot of um, step-by-step writing. Yeah. You know, we have these we have these battle suits that we wear, like exoskeleton suits, effectively, which is, I, I, I'm assuming this is the first time we really see those in yeah. this environment, and, and points to Heinlein for that, because it's become a bit of a mainstay of science fiction. But there's a whole section of the book, which is, yeah, so we've got these suits, and here's how they work, and when you're yeah. using them, here's what you do, and... Um, so like that's, a dummy's that's, guide to exoskeleton. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Um... And my second problem is that I just... Johnny Rico is such an obnoxious and annoying character. Like, I just... I don't like him and I don't find him interesting in any way. And even even this backstory of him being from a, uh, you know, from a well-to-do family where he was expected to, uh, you know, to go into uh, the family business, but he, he decides to join the military because... And it should be pointed out, joining the military and serving a, a period with the military actually gives you voting status in this world. Yeah. So if you don't do that, you're allowed to freedom of speech and all that sort of stuff, but you're actually not allowed to vote. Hmm. So anyway, so, you know, even that story, though, there's really not much not much to it. There's a scene where he... Because his father... He's kind of ostracised from his father when he joins the military, and there's a scene later on where they reconcile, hmm. um, which is another, you know, 
Gosh, the military is great kind of moment for the book. <laughs> um, it is. It's tainted by that. It, it is. Because it's actually, it's actually not a bad scene. It's like they reconcile and his father explains why he reacted the way he did. And, yeah. I, and I was like, I quite enjoyed it. I was like, this makes perfect sense. It, you yeah. know, there's, it's, we actually get some emotion out of somebody you know, yeah. in this book. Yeah. There's no emotion until yeah. this moment, right? But then, and then, but then it gets tainted with this. It's like, and I signed up, and yeah. now I'm in this thing here, and we're trying to get yeah. to the same ship, and the military is awesome. Yeah, I, I felt like I, I felt like the soundtrack to Team America should be playing during this book. <laughs> totally. Um, like, but yeah, the way you're talking about that, that complete lack of emotion. Like, there's a section where he finds out that his mum dies in a bug attack on Buenos Aires, and it's like, oh yeah, my mum's dead. That's sad. But I'm back to military life, and off we go again. Because, <laughs> you know, the military is great. Um, yeah, and I've got to say, I, I found, I really found this book annoying to read because of that. And and some of the, I must admit, some of the, the social commentary in this, there's a there's a whole section on how you should be, you know, why you should be beating your children into submission whenever they do anything bad. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like... You don't like that bit, though? No. No, it, because the argument that they put forward is not even an argument. It's like, oh, I can't believe that people back in the day didn't beat their children. Of course they should beat their children. And that's it. That's the entire There's argument. perfect reasoning out. behind it, Dave. <laughs> but that's, that <laughs> attitude carries throughout this entire book. And my God, did it annoy me. I'm, I'm very offended that you keep referring to them as bugs, Dave. It's a derogatory term. But that's the, the term, arachnids. But that's the term that they use all the time. That's the term that I know, and that's uses. one of the controversies. I'm not really offended. I don't really. Care. But it's, it's, it's some of the controversies that get labelled at this at this book are are, are very humorous, and uh, um, and one of them is that that they're they're referring to the arachnids as bugs and their allies as the skinnies. You know, yeah. is is racist. Um, now, one, firstly, it's not racist. It's actually speciesist because <laughs> so they're, they're not human. Um, are, so, are they saying it? So get it right for a start. Well, the bu- the bugs aren't represented as being similar to any actual human culture. No, that's right. That, that you could make that comparison with. Exactly. So, <laughs> so it's definitely not racist in any way. Yeah. Um, and then they, they and then they sort of implied sort of similar sort of thing because I mean because uh, the, the 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 Korean War ended. Um, just shortly before this, the the writing of this of this yeah. book, and um, yeah, and so about five of, years before, about five years, yeah. So yeah. they so they they reference the the U.S. military calling um, the Koreans gooks, um, and uh, and then this game they call buggers. Surely that's worse. It's far worse, <laughs> <laughs> but that's 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 also a card player. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think as I, I don't think uh, Highlands being speciesist I'm going to use the right word unlike everybody else um, in this in here at all it's just it's just it's a natural pro, it's, it's a natural natural he's drawing on the experiences these. of soldiers in the, the times. soldiers and that's what yeah. they would do yeah. um, there's, there's a fascinating argument in uh, the movie Three Kings about this very subject that I highly recommend everybody have a look at it's hilarious I'm sorry to interrupt but because um, there's a couple of things from what you're talking about I've actually yeah. not actually read Starship Troopers I have seen the film the Americans had lost Korea then could this be a way of Heinlein attempting to, you know, get some faith back into the military on into the military on the side of the public? Well, I mean, it is a very pro-military book, and that might be part of 
his motivation for it. Like, ser- seriously, this entire book is just about really how great the military is and how useless the rest of us are yeah. for not being in the military and how scruffy and undisciplined and, um, well, pretty much everything. Everything about non-military people is pretty much bad. And everything about <laughs> the military is pretty much good. Um, and the only people that take... Because there's a big thing about responsibility. Yeah. yeah. You know, personal responsibility and all that sort of stuff. And, and the idea being that the only people who actually know what that is... is is people in the military. Yeah, so he never, he never, he never comes out and says that war is good, is yeah. but the military is definitely... Basically, the I- ideals that the military instills in people mm. is good yeah. and should be, you know, so you know, mandatory service mm. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Should definitely, um, definitely happen. In terms of that, though, I mean, he never, said, he never says it is, but he never says it isn't. So. Yeah. According, according to Heinlein, though, um, part of the reason why he wrote this in the first place was because um, there was a... Advertisement in one of the newspapers uh, for uh, nuclear disarmament yeah. and uh, and to end nuclear testing, hmm. and so part of this book was kind of the response to that of no 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 nuclear testing is good and we should do it, hmm. but he sort of expanded that into the military is good and um, yeah and I think what what um, because he came out in favour of nuclear testing he came under attack for that apparently this book was him trying to sort of clarify and defend his his own arguments in relation to that. Um, unfortunately, that's what the book comes across as. Less a story and more a, this is my opinion and I'm trying to back it up. So then, I've got ask one more question then. Because you're both um, ideologically, you know, you're both uh, left-wing um, in your sensibilities or something more centre. Um, le- except for when it comes to beating children, apparently, in Dave's case. <laughs> but no, go on. I'm sorry, so you, you consider me left-wing. Or certainly, if not, I think certainly more moderate and more centre aligned than, say, you know, a right wing visibility. <laughs> You're not a Nazi, is what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Can we wait, to the, end, wait to the end of this review and maybe your opinion will change. Yeah. Um, you know, just. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely go with centre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, could that also be factoring into your reactions to the book as well? Well, see, you haven't actually had a chance to hear my reaction, so I, I don't know. So that's, yeah, well, let, let, I'll, I'll answer it then from my side of things then. Um, cool. I actually don't think that's it. Like, it's not that I... Uh, like, I don't... There are right-wing characters that I actually love. Like, I'll give you a good example. Judge Dredd. Like, Judge Dredd is an ultra-right-wing fascist, <laughs> but he's a fascinating character, and the world that's created around that is really quite interesting. Um, you know, or Dirty Harry's a good example, I think. Dirty Harry's quite a right-wing, you know quite a right-wing character, especially in the first film, where it's like that, you know, discard the law and take matters into your own hands sort of thing. Um, and and I find him to be a fascinating character as well. The problem here is that Johnny Rico isn't really a character at all. Mm. He's just a mouthpiece for Heinlein's... He's a cipher. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's a complete cipher. Yep. Good term. I like the way you think. Thanks. Yeah, for Heinlein's opinion. And, and, and there's no... <laughs> There's, there's no actual character there, you know. Like, I, I make the comparison between this and, say, Ender's Game. Because they're both about somebody who is taken out of their, their cosy environment and, you know, placed into a training, you know, military training situation for a major war. But Ender is an actual character. And what he goes through, he, you know, he has doubts about, about what, what's happening. He, he goes through hell. And, and that's presented in his character and, the, and, and what he does and, and how he responds to things. He's an actual full-fledged three-dimensional character. Johnny Rico isn't. Johnny Rico is just a, you know, yeah, let's go to war kind of character, you know. 
Cool. Um, so, yeah, actually, um, look, like Richard said at the start, I actually don't like this book either, right? Uh, but I do I do quite like parts of the book. The reason I don't mm. like it, right, I just, I just want to clarify, right? The reason I don't like it is because it's not a, there's no story, right? Yeah. So it's, 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 it, is, it is essentially the dummy's guide to the military. Mm. Um, and I just find that incredibly boring. Like, it just goes for whole chapters talking about, you know, certain uh, military engagements and, you know, mm. and and how ranking works and what a second lieutenant is and all that sort of crap, right? I just have no interest in any way, shape, or form, right? I just don't care. I actually, in, in, in the, the film, I think, does a far better job in actually giving us some uh, some actual plot and characters, but even that kind of falls down a bit. Um the, some of the parts that I do like about this book is is uh, I, I I very much love the moral conversations that they have when because it's all, most of it's dealt with in, in flash it's all flashbacks mm. um, when it, when they're in school when they're in the morals class mm. the morals class that you actually don't even, don't even have to pass you just but you it's mandatory that you attend and the, the conversations about. Corporal punishment, yeah. um, and which is just—it's hilarious. But there's no real, there's no real debate in those scenes, though. It's just like, well, there's, there's corporal punishment. Yeah, it's good. No, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's a bit of debate. It's the, the way the teacher handles debate, I think, is quite interesting. It's kind of like, well, um, he puts forward a, a, a motion, and then the, they either agree or disagree. And if they, regardless of whether they agree or disagree, they then have to prove their point. They yeah. come back. They come back tomorrow with an essay to prove do some study and prove it. I, I, I respect that. I'm cool with that. Now, the reason the reason I reacted so strongly to what you were saying before is I actually don't consider myself left at all, if it really. Um, actually, the corporal punishment stuff, I actually, I agree with it. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, a bit, a bit of controversy. I, 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 I love the analogy that they use about training your dog. Mm. It's like, how would you... Um, re- uh, the teacher explains, it's like, but when you're training your dog not to, to be to house-trained, what you, the way you do it versus how we treat um, children in our, in our society at the moment and stuff like that is completely different. And then, um, well, in the 20th century is how they describe it in the book. And and then people are surprised why the 20th century is, is you know, a disaster zone because of, of the fact the fact that we don't actually punish our children and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's controversy. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being devil's advocate here. Actually, I totally agree with that. I think, I think our laws are unbelievably lenient oh, not necessarily the laws but our justice system is far too lenient um and it's a, a really it, i think some discipline installed in the the younger years and then sort of leading up to the, the older generations would be uh far more beneficial um that is the most ridiculous argument i've ever heard oh there you go because back when corporal punishment was actually allowed in schools it yep. didn't suddenly mean that there was no crime or no juvenile delinquency. Or- Never said schools. Never said schools. Um, I think it's the, the responsibility of, of corporate punishment should be with the parents and the parents alone. Um, but, sorry, but, continue. Well, I, what I'm saying is, is that once upon a time it was perfectly acceptable for, for teachers and parents to beat their children. Yeah. And that didn't solve Once again, any problems. Beating. Yep. It's, 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 I no, don't, no, no, I don't beating. You're allowed beating. to beat your children. Yeah, but I'm saying, it's, it's, but they, they don't, in the, even in the book, they don't discuss beating children. Well, they discuss, they discuss hitting children to punish them. Yeah. I don't see that a beating. Yeah. I know two kids that have never been hit in their lives and have grown up and been, and like they're models of society. You couldn't find two better kids. And I know children who have been hit for being naughty. Hmm. Uh, and uh, just rat bags. Well, yeah, I, see, I mean, I was the thing, hit. I mean, it, yeah, but do you, do you consider me a rat bag? When I, I was hit as a child, and I, I've grown up a, 
a decent, respectable member of society. I've never broken a law. Yes, you but, have. But I was I wasn't hit as a child at all, and I also grew up into a decent, law-abiding citizen. So, you know, I, I don't think saying that allowing capital punishment back is going to solve problems and the way it's presented in the book to bring it back to the book yeah the, the argument Good. is that the <laughs> argument is presented that that it is absurd that they don't allow this to happen in in the late 20th century like it's like i can't the, the basic argument presented is it's silly that they didn't allow their children to thank get you beaten. dave and and it's almost, like, it's almost like we had this worked out in advance <laughs> and that is another reason why I, why I don't like this book is because most of the arguments that they give regardless of whether i agree with them or not are so absurdly put and put forward that it just doesn't make sense, and even the book contradicts itself. Yeah. So, so Love Return is it? It's it, they consider it's 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 a disgrace that the 20th century didn't have corporal punishment, and that you know the, the world is a better place now because of it. And yet, in the very same book, you get a child murderer mm. who not only went to the military, so their their ideals of the perfect people are the people who join the military. Yeah. So this dude joins the military. And then goes AWOL and kills a child. Yeah. And then everybody's like, it's like, oh, he has to die. And so they hate him. Yeah. And so it's like, well, this contradicts everything you just said five chapters earlier when you were saying that corporal punishment is the answer to a perfect society. Um, so they're, they're talking about how, you know, he, I mean, he obviously would have been chast, you know, chastised and as a child and stuff like that. And yet he still went on to become a criminal. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. I, so, um, I thought you meant his actions. No, that's okay. Yeah, well, his well, his actions his actions prove that even having punishment as a child doesn't mean that you're going to grow up and become a, a perfect citizen. Like there's still there's still people who break the law and break horrible laws, and so mm. it just it just it just goes to show that there needs to be a balance because <laughs> you can't have it all one way or the other. And this this book is very much one way, and it just it's why I just think it just doesn't it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just it, it, it creates absurd arguments. Well, it comes back to what you were saying before. It's it's not just Rico. Pretty much every character in this book is a cipher. Yeah. For Heinlein to just get across his 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 views on matters, there are there the, look there are two things that I, I think the book does deserve credit for. Um, one is as we said the idea of the of the um, of the um, exoskeleton suits. Mm. Um, this has become a mainstay, but also more importantly, I think too the idea of the I guess the space infantry group. Like the actual space soldiers and, and 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 how the how they are employed, how they drop down into into battle zones and things like that. That's become incredibly influential, and of course, we saw in the eighties movies, especially suddenly the crack team of marines became became the standard for science fiction, and that that does date back to to this book because, to the best of my knowledge, the actual space marine type thing doesn't really show up in a lot of science fiction before this. And obviously this would be the most famous and popularist version of that. Um, and obviously the most acclaimed because it was a Hugo winner. Yeah, before this, it's generally the single solo hero, action hero. Or, or the yeah. Lensman, or the oh, Lensman yeah. type yeah, group. But which yeah. is, the which galactic is, which is an alien, alien, but that's yeah, an alien police. force, you know, yeah. a, a, co, um, a, cooper- a cooperative between Earth and an alien force. So whereas yeah, this yeah. is the, um, the actual... And they're peacekeeping more than military. Yeah, per se. yeah, yeah. This is literally these are space soldiers going to yeah. war. Mm. Um, and so the book does, and, and it, he goes into that in a level of detail that is actually kind of frustrating. But at the same time, he does lay the groundwork for that kind of space military science mm. fiction. Um, and so credit, I think, has to be given there for for the innovations of that. I just wish there was a better book to go with all of that. Um, it's interesting too that the movie. Um, 
actually takes the society that's in the book into uh, like fascism territories, like the interpretation. Yeah, the argument that the, the society that they live in is, is fascist has been leveled at the book since the very yeah, beginning, and, yeah. the, and the film takes it to its natural conclusion. Yeah. It makes it very, very Nazi-like. Yes, and, it does. You know, yes, and does. I think it was I think it was a brilliant idea. As the, the, way that. the difference there is from what you're like, what you're talking about is that the film is actually more of a satire. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this isn't yeah. a satire. This no. is actually. Well, you're you know, talking about a dead deadly yeah. serious. And you're talking about a director who actually came through the Nazi regime. So you can understand how he would take that and interpret it that way. Yeah. Um, I think films are superior effort, but mainly just because it actually has a story. And the characters at least are a little bit more fleshed out. Yeah. Not much. Not Not much. much, (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot, no. No. (laughs) All right. So, um, yeah. uh, Your final ranking? Yeah. I'm not a fan of the book. I think it fails as a as a as a story, <laughs> but uh, um, I can see I can definitely see why the military loves it, and it's mm. on their reading list. I can see that. If, uh, the, but the bits, the military parts of it, are very well done in terms. Of if if you're into that sort of thing, so if you're a military enthusiast in any way, then I'd be shocked you haven't already read it. But if you haven't, do so because it is for you. I mean, it's it's military deployment, ranking systems, you know, the respect that the military installs in people, all that sort of stuff, you know, military service is definitely, definitely a must for that and very, very well done in that respect. Um, but when I'm reading a science fiction story, I want to have a story. And yeah. this unfortunately doesn't have one. It's characters that I don't care about, because, mainly because it's not that I don't want to, it's just that I just don't know anything about them. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it, it really is quite a slog. It's really a slog, it is a slog to get through. No doubt about it. Um, and so I just, I think in a, in a, it's basically sort of, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it fails in its intended purpose, which is to be a, a novel, a story. You know, so um, I don't actually, I actually don't want to rate it. I don't want to rate it. Really? I, yeah, I just, I just don't think, I don't, it's, it's not for me, but if you're of a military mind, I think it's a brilliant example of that sort of thing. It's almost like a military recruitment guide. In, in kind of yeah, I mean actually, form. I mean there's a lot about there's a lot about this book that I like. I mean I, I like I actually like the society that they live in. I think it I think it's actually pretty good. I, I think it works, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too upset to live in it myself. Um, but in terms of an actual entertaining story, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I found this book terrible. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, I, for basically for all the reasons you've just stated, uh, no actual characterization, uh, no actual plot, no counter argument to strengthen the arguments that it presents. Um, which I think I, I don't mind somebody using a book for, as a mouthpiece for their political views, but you've got to present the counter argument as a strong one. And then show why your argument is the better of the two. Yeah. You don't just dismiss it as, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> or not even mention it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it reads less as a story and more as propaganda. Yes, it's clearly propaganda. Um, and that, I just, like you said, it was a slog. Yeah. I really struggled to get through it. Um, look, for a couple of interesting and innovation, innovative things it does to the field of science fiction, I'm going to give it one Luke. Okay. Um, uh, but that, that's just me being generous, I think. Um, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. This is the book that I've had the worst reaction to of all the books that we've read. This is the book that I just disliked the most. Oh, so I refresh my memory because, I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm not very good. But it, do you like Stranger in a Strange Land? Um, I actually 
I actually, I must admit, I, I, I quite like. I, I can't actually. It's hard for me to reconcile that this is the same writer. <laughs> I think this proves once and for all that Highland can't write. But Stranger in a Strange Land. But he's Land, one of the big three. And that doesn't mean he's good. <laughs> but the, the thing with Stranger... Also, I'll rephrase that. I think this proves once and for all, for me, that yeah. Highland is a hack. But here's what, here's what I don't understand. Stranger in a Strange Land is deals with, you know, free love, commune living. Um, <laughs> the complete opposite. The complete opposite of what this book is. And, like, I, I actually thought maybe in the three years between when this book was published and when uh, Stranger was published, my thought was maybe he just had some massive radical change in in, in, um, well, he got heavily in his philosophies. Yeah. But then I find that he was writing Stranger in a Strange Land when he <laughs> when wrote he was this. Writing this yeah. So it's, it's, it was hard for me to reconcile that they're even the same author. Right. Um, that, that, okay. Does that speak to his talent then that he can... Um, well, has uh, two very different narratives. Well, no, but that's the thing. The first thing really have all that much of it. It has the no narrative. Thing, the important thing, it I think, that, but the in the difference in the three year difference between that and uh, between this and uh, Stranger, yeah. is that he clearly discovers the ability to write actual characters. Yeah. Like Valentine Michael Smith is a character, and you can follow his story, and you can get behind, you know, what 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 he's going through in the way that you can't with Johnny Rico. Mm. Um, and yeah, so Good. it really amazes me that, um, that change. And, and I'd actually then like to read his, I'm, I'm going to look at reading his post stranger in a strange land books to see if that change continues into something better than what starship troopers gave us. Because look, stranger in a strange land is not without its faults, but overall I actually, I found the book quite fascinating. Right, okay. Um, okay. Right, whereas this book was unbearable. <laughs> that's, that's unbearable. The we'll end it on that. <laughs> Starship Troopers. Unbearable. unbearable. <laughs> but if you second. disagree, please let me know why I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to do reprints and uh, there's a quote from NCP just says unbearable. <laughs> but I would be interested to actually to hearing from any listeners who actually really love this book and what it is about the book that appeals to them, yeah. because I, I can't understand... Well, they'll be the military, they're military lovers. Yeah, possibly, but I, I, I can't And I like the military. I, mean, I like I know there's certain aspects of the military that I quite enjoy, but mm. well, <laughs> I, just, I don't want to join. I, I guess what, I, what I'm interested in, if anybody does want to let us know, what I'm interested in is why you love the book. Like, what mm. is it about the book that appeals to you? Yeah. Um, because I, I just couldn't see it. And it's, it's rare for me in doing these to find a book that I just can't, can't get anything. Can't get anything out of. So. I had that experience with strangers. Moving on to Dust Jacket number two. It's Luke and Crystal doing the Martian. <laughs> it's like a strange new dance. Oh yeah, do the Martian. Do the Martian. <laughs> By Andy Weir. You people are silly. <laughs> you started it. Um, now, if so, some people might be twigging. Oh, haven't they done that before? Yes, I did do a brief review on a bow episode a few months ago, maybe even last year. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to do a more in-depth dust jacket version today. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know the plot of this book. A very simple plot, basically. Uh, it's a third man mission to Mars. Uh, one of the astronauts, Mark Watney, gets left behind. Um, what happens is that the dust storm of a century hits Mars. The, the MAV is in danger of tipping over. The crew have to get back. A piece of an array breaks off and impales Mark. Um, so they lose signal with his suit, believe he's dead. They take off. He's actually not dead because the bit that's impaled him has sealed the suit um, along with his coagulated blood. 
and thus ensues the rest of the story where he has to survive on Mars until he can um, be rescued. The problem is the Hab's only set up for 30-something days and he needs to be there for four years, so he has to, quote, science the shit out of this. (laughs) 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 Now, um... Andy Weir started out writing this book as a sort of a thought experiment. He, if, if, before he even thought about writing a book, his, his idea was how do we do a manned mission to Mars with our current technology today? And um, being a sort of a space boffin, uh, he was that was sort of like a, a hobby of his, working this out and then working out how to do it, what could go wrong, how to fix that. What else could go wrong? How could how to fix that? And then he thought, well, this could make a good basis for a story. So, the the point of the book is a, is a massive thought experiment, but it's helped along with the the narrative of Mark Watney's story and his character. I just I found the book fascinating. Towards the end, I found it a bit oh, really how many more catastrophes could 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 happen to this poor guy? But I mean that as I say, that was really the point of the book. Um, but other than that, I, I just found it great. Some sometimes the scientific explanations were a bit much for me, but I think that's just, um, for a lot of people that's a strength in the book, and I, that that's what um, helped him get this book going. Because uh, initially, apparently, this was self-published chapter by chapter on the internet, and a lot of feedback from very interested people, uh, a lot of scientists saying, "Well, you try this, or you could try that." And, so a, cool. a lot of the science in there in this is extremely accurate. There's a few uh, suspension of disbeliefs or gimmies, as I like to call it. One, one of which being the the storm on uh, Mars probably really wouldn't happen because the atmosphere on Mars isn't thick enough and the winds wouldn't get high enough. But he decided to keep that. Um, for narrative purposes. So, are we talking about the first storm? Yeah, the first, storm. Not the first storm. Not the second one? No. Not the second one. Because that's the thing, you know, if they've got one storm as well, we're yeah, not going to have yeah. a second one. Yeah. Like so, that. so, I mean, but he, I mean, he could have still had the story in other ways, but he felt it was more dramatic. Um, the other thing um, that he mentioned is the radiation fabric. We don't actually have that sort of technology yet, although it's not inconceivable it couldn't be invented by that time. Yeah, by the whole, by the time we're getting missions to Mars and you know people need the habitat, we probably yeah. do need to have stuff like. Well, that. that's the other mm. thing. It's not stated in the book, but he is um, specifically talking about a twenty thirty five launch yeah. window because he did the math for the launch windows. So twenty thirty five. It's twenty thirty five when it's taken off. So nice. yeah, so he had to sort of do a hand wavy thing for the radiation because yeah. otherwise um, Mark Watney would be dead by cancer. Yes, mm. oh, as he says in the book, you know, his cancer would have cancer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, um, over to Luke. What did you? Think? Um, okay, I actually jumped on this one because I wanted to. Um, I wanted to read it. I haven't seen the film yet, um, so you know, I can't comment on how this ro- how this works in relation to the film. Um, I actually, for the most part, enjoyed it. Um, I thought that you know, I thought, uh, it's a you know, a simple, a nicely simple premise that you could easily get yourself into. Um, my, I think Mark Watney is actually a very funny guy, and there are some mo- there are some nice off the cuff um, little comments that he makes. My favourite one, the one that made me laugh out loud, was the one where um, back on Earth they're all worrying about what's going on, and um, Teddy, the, the the mission director, actually states, you know. We abandoned him there. What must be going through? What must be going through his mind right now? Cut to Mark. 
How can Aquaman? How can Aquaman control whales? They're mammals. <laughs> Makes no logical sense. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, that doesn't make it into the movie. But no. that's a really good but line. That's, that was the moment I was just yeah no the the pacing of that the way you've cut to it just that's that's yeah. just fabulous. Uh, I actually did. You know, I'm really not a fan of info dumps, but here that he tries to present it more as Mark's attempt to work to show his working out how how he actually is going to survive. Mm. Um, so I actually found the science. Um, interesting this time around it does get a little bogged down more towards the end as he has to re um remi- as he has to remind the re- audience as to what the science actually is yeah uh but you know even so it's still it, he does try to keep it um as fresh as he can um my big problem with this um it does come towards the end and you are right crystal that it the the calamity upon calamity um uh it just it does get a little bit too much. He has a bit brief moment of hope, and then suddenly, you know, the rover falls over before just before he gets to the um, before he gets to um, the. Does the rover fall over? Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> okay, really. Um, um, uh, just just to preface uh, uh, before because we... that doesn't happen in the film. In, does in, it? In the so film, I consider that a spoiler. Yeah, I think. Um, the film will be much more to your liking there, Luke, because some of these calamities towards the end do get a bit cut out because I assume time-wise. Yeah. Mm. And it it does go a bit... It it is a bit smoother. Mm. Like, the trip from uh, the Hab to Ares 4 is is a lot less calamitous as it actually is in the book. Okay. Um, Well, that that probably works because, yeah, here it it does... It doesn't become a bit too much. It's kind of like, okay, you're now piling this on... Yeah. More for the sake of building up uh, suspense and drama for the um, the end for the, for the yeah. climax. But more when than... you look at it as the, uh, his original premise was a, as a thought experiment, and um, these are probably all things he thought about in the beginning. So I guess he felt he just had to squish them all yeah. into the book. Um, my real problem with the ending, and I'm going to probably call a spoiler on this one, um, is more the way that he gets saved, not the actual science. And what is it different he... to the film? Slightly. Um, not the not the science of it and not his involvement, but um, what happens is that the um, the crew does you know they the flyby they, they do a flyby, and when you know there comes a moment where he gets into the mission, gets into his um, his shuttle, launches into space, and then you know blacks out. And but then the crew it it, it takes over for, the crew take over, and we sort of see them pay off effectively the story. Um, without much involvement from Mark and we haven't had much interaction with the crew before this so we've had the, we've had we have seen them and we have seen them talk around and discuss what's going on but the um the big the other the because it is a split narrative the other narrative has actually been more to do with earth nasa's attempts mm. to try and get various probes and work out various plans to try and save him um so to have um th- really what he should have done was actually Talk more. It was introduced the crew earlier on in the book than what he does. I said the same thing. And actually, develop them a little. Not too much. <laughs> no, I'm not saying too much more. I'm not saying the book. The book should be about them. I'm saying it just develop them a little bit more so that when they actually have to do their part, hmm. um, it doesn't feel so. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like Mark Watney's suddenly been removed from the action. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I, I, I said the same thing about the movie. That's what I was, I was yeah. thinking the same yeah, thing. I, said, yeah. I actually thought the because the movie jumped straight into the storm very quickly. Yeah. And I actually remember thinking they could have had a few more minutes actually on Mars establishing the relationship that Mark has with the rest of the crew. Yeah. And 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 who these people are. 
before the storm hits. I, say, I, say, I, say, I would have, I would have like yeah. five minutes at least yeah. before the storm hits. Yeah. Because all the and it's because all the drama has has been occurred around Mark, and we've mm. one of the reasons why I like why I did like him apart from the humour was the fact that he's um, he's actually quite smart, and we actually yeah. see him work things out and try to do all this. And he makes mistakes. You know, things get blown up, and he actually does feel like he's not going to survive. Yeah. Um, mm. And then he wakes up the next morning and has an idea that circumvents that. And you know, because we've established that so much, for them yet yeah, for him to sort of suddenly be removed from that, yeah, I guess, I, and to spend so long on seeing them try to rescue him as well. Um, does the film change that? Because that's it does. not quite how it goes. I just, have I, you read the book I, as well? Just, no, but I have seen the film. Oh, okay. I disagree. Um, I, I don't. I don't I don't think we needed to spend more time with the crew of the ship because that's not really what the book was about. As mm. I say that from at the start, the book was about problem solving, and um, and I don't think it's. Um, I think it's like sort of fair that uh, you get to the end and Mark's done everything he possibly can, and then when he blacks out and the crew sort of take over. I th- that's. I think that's totally fair. I mean, he's he's almost dead at this point, mm. it's- and and it's it's either that. Or he fails. I think if if Mark had not blacked out and made it all the way to the end, I think I've, that my suspension of disbelief may have just broken at that point. Okay, yeah. it's, it's not. It's not that. It's more a case of suddenly focusing heavily on the crew at the very end there, mm-hmm. um, in, to, in terms of help, trying to solve um, the story. It, it's actually quite a lengthy sequence. Um, in which our main character, you know, the survival of our main character is imperative. Mm. Um, but he, I, he, you've either got to introduce the, and not, you know, heaps and heaps of scenes earlier on, but something to help them some, suddenly explain why the drama suddenly shifts to, the, I, to what I they don't, do. Don't, yeah. don't, don't I've got a question, that, but I, I consider it too spoily. I don't, um, I don't see that at all. The crew yeah. was introduced, introduced earlier on, and, and I think um, this is. It's, the crew, the, the drama doesn't really shift to the crew. The drama still about Mark because they're all about saving him. Hmm. Yeah. So I, well, I, Mark's I, I, not actually doing book. anything though. I've yeah, read the book, but I, I think the end of the film. Yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how close it is to the book, but actually, the end of the film works perfectly. The, I mean, the, I do see what you're saying. But the blackout, the blackout in the film, is, but is quite short. Uh, yeah, the blackout in the film and the crew saving him after he's blacked out mm. is only what it's a very, minute or two. It's yeah, very maybe. similar. The only difference is, I think, in the book, it's still the captain doesn't say the, the captain doesn't leave the ship, does she? Uh, no, no, yeah. So that's it's, the it's only difference is it's still um, it's still Beck that that mm. does the yeah. the walkout, and I think it's a walkout. It's not a it's not a jetpack. I think, right. that's, I think that's the yeah, end of the because he's strapped yeah. and there's some concern yeah, that he's not going to survive. Yeah. Um, and I it's don't, it's, it's not, it's not, I don't mean that it's a terrible ending by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. It's just that for a long period of time that we've spent yeah. so much time um, with Mark and feeling for Mark and then suddenly then, um, the crew kind of have to help resolve... They, they t- not, not, sorry, let me rephrase that. Not resolve the action, they become the focus for the action. If that makes mm. sense. Yes, yeah. yeah, I see what you're saying. I just, I just don't feel like they didn't yeah. feel like a problem. For I'm with Crystal here. Actually, yeah. I think the, I think, I mean, he's he's done so much mm. that it's it's about time that for the for the others to actually now implement their plan and for him to just let it happen. I mean, he's he's mm. he's, he's at the end of his rope 
literally yeah. and figuratively. You know what I mean? See, I can't. I can't go by having not read the book. I can't go by that. Yeah. But going by the film, the actual rec- rescue sequence isn't that long. Yeah. Um, but from the film's perspective, I actually did feel that I needed to know a little bit more about the characters and their relationship with Mark at the beginning of the film, um, because you don't really you don't really learn. It. There's a couple of quips at the start, and then nothing about them until you see them later on getting on their yeah, ship. But you and, kind of you learn know. that through him um, yep. using their technology yeah. and talking you learn, to them. Learn that through their gear. But yeah. that's learning about them. It's not learning about his relationships with them. And, and then you learn that through the conversation. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's fairly limited, and I think there should have been a little bit more at the start of the film as well. I do agree with that. Um, anyway, to, like I said, I, I like didn't that mind the, the film, film. I, I, I the film, film and the book, both the film and the book jump straight into the problem. Like that, it, mm. yeah, there's no, no preamble. It jumps straight into the problem. That, 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 and yeah, yeah, he's on Mars. I am effed. Um, and, and I also ah. like that um, <laughs> the the people, the characters in this um, book and film are portrayed as, as real life people. They're not just they're not your Hollywood scientists in their lab coats and they're yeah, if they let their hair out they're suddenly gorgeous and um, <laughs> they're real the real life people. Oh, okay, you did that, you did that again. They, they they make it they make mistakes, um, and and you know, um, uh, and it's not necessarily the, the 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 hero of the story coming up with the best solutions. It could be the the smallest Person. Yeah, and that's that's you know that's actually quite um, yeah. prevalent. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know the reality of the yeah. situation. You know, trying to actually capture the reality of the situation is yeah, yeah. Is it, one it of the just, strengths. It, I like the I like the realism of it that it sort of works like um, you know what could actually happen rather than a Hollywoodized version of it. Mm. Yeah, there's no sort of Bruce Willis coming in at the last minute to try and save the day. <laughs> um, and it spent a lot of time on... Because, I mean, it's sort of this, you're sort of thinking, why doesn't the ship just turn around and go and pick him up? And then you realise the does. effort that that, uh, yeah. that goes into plotting orbits and trajectories and, and yeah. um, how much it, uh, how much of a problem it really is. It's not like Star Trek where you can just turn around and go and yeah. pick him up. In Star Trek, they have problems occasionally turning the ship around. Yeah. Um, I did love that aspect of it, though. Yeah. Especially because, yeah, that the recent efforts to land um, the probe on on the asteroid. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. on the comet. Yeah. Um, when you see all the science behind that, and it took them ten years of actually working the mathematics out and launching it and having it slingshot off everything, you know, and then to see that actually, then that same ma- um, science and maths applied in the in the well in the film for me yeah. was uh, awesome. I loved that. I think uh, it's a credit to the author that he did manage to um, couple both uh, an interesting story and the realism of the science together. Yeah, um, yeah no, like I said, I agree with um, pretty much all what you said. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things. Like, I didn't, um, it, you know, for the most part, I generally, when I come to, to review all this stuff, I have a general antipathy towards... <laughs> Um, and if I, That's why I was shocked when you started your review of oh, I generally enjoyed this. But you know, Mark, Mark, <laughs> Holy crap. Mark has present you know, as Crystal said, we jump straight into the situation. Mark has presented yeah. as a as a, a quite likable, mm. um, affable guy, and he's quite funny. He could probably be a you know, a bit of a an arrogant um so and so in real life, but you know um you know, quite willing to go to go with him and it's nice to see him attempting to work out how we how this is gonna be achievable. Mm. And, and Luke know, often says he likes to be shown how stuff's done, not not told. And this book just has bucket loads of that. Yeah, 
Um, the, you know, the stuff that we have to be told is the science, yeah. but then we see him try to implement that, and then we see the results, whether they worked or not. Mm. Um, so yeah, this probably won't be a book that I'd reread again. Mm. Uh, Do see the film though; I think you'll enjoy. Probably, it. See, you know, I will see the film, um, but you know, I, I, that's probably the next thing. Next time I'm going to counter the story, whereas mm. as a book, I feel like I'm done with it. There's not really any. I don't feel any reason to go back and reread it. Um, it's not, you know, say filled with metaphor or symbolism or you know single plot lines. Um, the one, the one reading is is enough. But that's, that's an interesting thing. There's I, I, I rate. That's so interesting. You said that. I've never said that before. Is is I rate my start, my books based on whether I'll reread them or not. Subconsciously, I've never yeah. thought about it before, but I do. And some books, wow. you know, there are some books where I read and I go, yeah, no, I'm keeping that because I will want to reread that later on in life. Um, and you know. This book, yeah, it's good, yeah. and people should read it. But yeah, but, you know, it, anyway, is a good writer. But I probably won't reread it again. Will you reread it? Again? It's too early for me to tell. I'll definitely probably see a movie again. Yeah, maybe. And that's probably why. That's probably why because it probably it it's probably uh because it's such a lighter you know a lighter plot. Mm. Um, it probably does work very well for multiple viewings, mm. multiple readings. Though you probably get a little samey after a while. Yeah, mm. it's interesting because I actually had the same reaction to the film. It's like I liked the film; mm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. But it's, I sort of thought, having fin- seen it now, I sort of thought, really I, I probably won't probably won't watch it again. I might watch it again somewhere down the track, but it's not yeah. one that I'm gonna that I want to buy a copy of and own. Even though I I enjoyed it pretty much for all the reasons that Crystal's been saying were the reasons I enjoyed the the, the film. But yeah, but I'm not feeling like it's something I'm going to watch again. Mm. So. Sorry. Uh, I give this um, three and a half looks. I give it a four, and the movie I'll also give it a, a four. I'll, I'll pop it up there with Moon. I think it's going to be up there in my top five. It's awesome. Actually, nice. the movie I, I quite enjoyed the movie, and uh, that was an awesome, awesome review, by the way. I saw the movie. I just described the movie to a friend at work as the good bits of Interstellar combined with the good bits of Gravity into what a film that they both wanted to be. Mm. So, so, so it's uh, that Matt Damon's in both The Martian and Interstellar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's because it's, I'm not a fan of Interstellar and uh, and Gravity. I just think had no story, but looked beautiful, and so I sort of I think it sort of combined those two elements together. But as was, uh, was, actually, I haven't read the book, but actually now I think I will. I think I'll read it. Mm. It just sounds it sounds pretty awesome. Mm. And, and the movie is so cool. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, so uh, for our next dust jackets. We will announce our next books for our next dust jackets, as is our want. As is our want. <laughs> so, uh, said that for a while. Yeah, I know. It's been a couple, <laughs> it's been a couple episodes. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a new podcast uh, called uh, As Is My Want. <laughs> uh, so That'd be great because you're like, this week we're talking about this, As Is My Want. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the coolest intro ever. I do, do it in different voices. Yeah, that'll work so, for our... Uh, yeah, that'll work for about four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Richard, the next sci-fi yeah, book? Yeah, so the next sci-fi list book we'll be doing is Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Cool. Which is number 16 on the list. Number 16, eh? Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and the next crew pick is myself. And I've decided my original pick is a bit unfair because it's uh, quite a hefty tome. It was 1,000 uh, pages yes, long. Yes, it was uh, It by Stephen King, which is awesome, but it's just not fair. Just didn't want to do it. Um, sorry? Didn't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have instead chosen uh, Let the Right One In by John Lidqvist. Yep. Yeah. That's Did I say, I've, he You've has done that's it. How, that's how you pronounced, pronounced the name Lidquist. correctly. Well done. I, well, I watched a video. Um, yeah, so uh, it isn't, uh, of course, the uh, the book um, that the films, the, uh, the film of the same name, or the let, 
but the right one in is uh, Let Me In uh, is based on. Are you interested in doing that? Because I loathe the film. <laughs> loathed. <laughs> loathed. <laughs> All right, so that's you and I with Huxley then. Yes. Okay, so, so the, the of two evils, maybe. Richard Kistler <laughs> with Brave New World. And uh, Luke and myself have let the right one in. Have you read it before? No, but I have a copy of it. Oh, okay, cool. Have, awesome. you, have you seen the film? Yeah, I've seen the first, the, the Scandinavian one. Yeah. yeah, that's the one I saw. And we've got uh, plenty of time to read them because uh, the what would what would be the next Dust Jacket episode is actually our special Star Wars 7 Force Awakens episode. <gasps> Yay! So, so, so we would normally be doing a Dust Jacket in episode 174, but uh, it's uh, dedicated purely to all things... Did I say Star Trek before? I think I think so. I think you said Star Wars. I, 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 I would have heard it if you said I, Star I, I Trek. Yeah, it's sure. devoted to all the Star Wars episodes ever. So as it uh, should be. As it should be, that's right. So we'll help out our, our review and then uh, what other what other else we want to talk about during that episode. So actually, so we're skipping a dust jacket. Then we'll do uh, episode 178. So 178, we'll actually have Brave New World and let the right one in. Yep. Live long and prosper. What? <laughs> You're weird. <laughs> Look at your face then. I'm not reading that crap. Uh, top five, suspension of disbelief. Yay! So, uh, I've got to stop doing that Kermit. Yeah, the Kermit, yay. <laughs> um, if you could please, uh, this is, is your suggestion, so if you can explain it to our listeners. Oh, originally I put it as top five gimmies, but David didn't like the term because he hadn't heard it before. <laughs> so well, gimmies is not a real term. It is a real term. So we changed it to the top five uh, suspen- suspensions of disbelief. Now we'll just Basically, uh, I was thinking about uh, Clark Kent's glasses. Yeah. Um, you know, how... Yeah, when David takes his glasses off, I still know it's him. Are you saying I'm a superhero? But, but you've got to you've got to give that to Superman. You just you just let it slide. So I thought you top you top five. Uh, so th- these are the suspension of disbelief things that we ourselves are just happy to run with. That's we, yeah, we just let we just let it slide. It's our top five. Let it slide. You're right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Good. Because that's how I did the list. I wanted to make sure that that was all right. Take it. So, it's, 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 shall I go first then? No, it's your list. You can go first. All right. Man. Yeah. Okay. So five, from five to one. Um, number five, uh, number five is like a sort of a general one that I let slide in a lot of things is, um, alien planets tend to be very earth-like and the aliens are generally bipedal mm. and it's generally because of production costs and values. I mean, mm. you, you, you don't want to have to pretend there are different gravities all the time and, um, yeah, aliens generally are played by humans, so they've got to be bipedal mm. mostly. And also, you know, it's just easier to say this alien looks like this and have show a human yeah. um, mm. than have to create backstory and explain. Yeah. Well, Star Trek does try to um, address it a little bit with the prever- preservers. But, I actually um, think that was a mistake. Yeah. I, I, was, actually, I actually quite liked it, though. Oh, because... I, don't, I don't see any reason for it. Well, I mean, in, with suspension of disbelief, there is no reason for it, because yeah. if we just accept it, we just accept it. But I like their efforts to try and at least give yeah. some reason for I it. Did, I didn't mind it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, anyway, on to my number four. Number four is TV hacking or computer use. Anyway, <laughs> hey, <laughs> my, uh, you, you see it in everything. People are tapping away at the keyboard and things are changing on the screen. Nobody ever uses a mouse. Uh, <laughs> my favorite, Hello, computer. My favourite example of this is, is, is Scotty um, um, bringing up the specs for transparent aluminium (laughs) (laughs) he tries to voice operate the computer but um, can't tries to speak to the mouse 
Hello, computer. I'm sorry, I can't do this question again. You know, did you see recently in the news they just uh, they discovered the formula for transparent aluminum? Yes, I did see that. All right. Um, um, and so he then he we're, we're um, late, but we're cool. cracks his knuckles and uses the keyboard and bang, 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 and all these images pop up on the screen. We know how that's not how Macs work. <laughs> Can I add an addendum to that one then? Yes. Uh, the so-called, you know, brilliant hackers. Yeah. Typing in just keywords rather than, you know, the lines of code and data <laughs> yeah. that you have to type in. Yeah. Or, for instance, say, in Jurassic Park where the hacker has to turn everything back online simply by scrolling through some files. <laughs> yeah. So they're going, you're a hack. I think, I think the, best, the best examples of, that are, of the, both the ridiculousness of it is hack the movie Hackers, yep. which plays up that. I mean, it plays it up. I mean, it turns it into a video game. Yeah. And then you've got the extreme other end of it, which is the TV show Rista Robot, which actually shows legitimate hacking code where people actually doing real stuff but sort of twists it slightly so you don't then do it at home. It's yes. like, oh, I'm going to start doing some uh, sis bombs. Thank you very much. You know, stuff like that. So, yeah, that's a good one. Number three on my list is faster than light travel. Using Star Trek again as an example, um, you, you've got to let that slide. That they've, they've actually cracked faster than light, which um, at, at this point in time is an impossibility. You can't go faster than light, as Einstein will tell you, if he was around. To tell you, he would tell well, you. That. Well, he did, he did tell us. But I just the, so happen to have Einstein in the kitchen. For the purposes of narrative, <laughs> okay. you've got ships like the Enterprise that they can go faster than light. They can go into warp speed, and and they they, they talk about how it can be done, and this sort of stuff sort of sounds plausible. But they also um, they never discuss the effects uh, uh, that it would have on time. I mean, actually, Interstellar was a good film for that because it did um, yeah. actually dwell on that, um, how, how it would change, like time would go faster and slower depending mm, yeah. on, on your travelling. And the novel The Forever War does that as well. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. so there, there are quite a few examples on that, but for, for a lot of stories you've just got to let that slide because it just doesn't work for the narrative. If yeah. you yeah. travel at warp speed to another planet and then um, everyone's still in the same sort of time as they were when you left. That's one of my favourites, Bend in Space. Always per- I always prefer Ben's space than travel instead of fast but Anyway, sorry. I digress. <laughs> Which is another suspension of disbelief. The oh, yeah. Ben's <laughs> space yes. to get... Number two on my list is the TARDIS. <laughs> it defies all pull that you could have... Uh, I suppose a more advanced race like the Time Lords could crack the dimensions and have build some sort of technology that um, works on... Uh, different dimensions and you could have a space on the inside that's bigger on the outside infinitely bigger mm. um but uh, yeah you've got to, got, to, got to let that one slide because the tardis is just too awesome <laughs> not to believe that and um number one on our list is probably no surprise to anyone it's the one that inspired this whole thing is 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 clark kent's glasses <laughs> it wouldn't have been a list without somebody having it yeah. i mean he didn't wear glasses growing up so sorry surely everyone from smallville would recognize superman yeah they, they, they kind of they, they tend to explain a little bit more is that he wears sort of oversized clothes and he slumps Slouches a beard and, and he changes his voice a bit and he's actually the glasses change his eye color because they're bright blue as superman and they're, they're, they're duller that's, as, that, that's of course all hair that's of course all now yeah once upon a time <laughs> yeah. it was just yeah, yeah, no, one, no one recognizes it is what it, it is yeah. <laughs> they also as we saw in uh, as we've seen in the supergirl TV show, they also go with the everyone sees the S and doesn't really look at the person sort of thing as well. Yeah, which is how episode three is going to address that. Faces up here, people! My face is up here! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's the other thing I like about she's, I mean, she's she's quite clearly an attractive woman. She's a very attractive woman, bless her, though. Um, 
but they don't go like they have that one scene where she's like she's trying the different outfits and she's like yeah. I wouldn't even wear this to the beach yeah. <laughs> and she's actually actually is in like a decent Supergirl costume you know? yeah. it's nothing it's, it's awesome it's great stuff but that was uh, that was awesome that was great thank you <laughs> my job here is done <laughs> next Richard okay um my number five is actually a pretty minor one uh, overall, but um, it's what I call strategic gun jamming. Nice. Where we were, I was watching uh, Back to the Future yep. uh, because of the, the, the anniversary the other day, and there's the bit where you know Marty's about to get shot and the bad guy's gun just happens to jam at that exact moment so that he can escape into the time machine and off he goes. Yep. Happens all the time. Like, seriously, a week doesn't go by where you don't see strategic gun jamming in a TV show or a movie or something. But but I just accept it. Yeah. Like, I just accept that guns though, just Dave, jam. To be fair, though, AK-47s were notorious for jamming. But it's not just that. Every gun will jam if the plot needs the gun to jam. <laughs> or run out of ammo. I'm just yeah. playing, I'm playing. Yeah. Um, my number four is happy endings. We just accept... Um, it actually, it originally started off as bad guys will get their comeuppance in the end, right. was my initial thought. Right? You know, because, you know, like evil businessmen, let's take Ronnie Cox, for example, evil businessmen, <laughs> always, they always get taken down at the end and they're always revealed to be the, the, the you know, the sociopaths that they are and everything. But in real life, evil businessmen or immoral businessmen, they just pass their practices onto their sons yeah. who take over the business and continue to perpetuate that cycle. That's, that, you know, and even, even the ones that do get caught out, you know, they might get jailed, like home jailed for a couple of years or something, and then they're out again making money again, and no one cares, <laughs> you know. But I sort of ex- expanded on that too. We, we just accept that most movies, all the all the plots will just be wrapped up neatly at the end and... You know, and the characters will get to ride off into the sunset, and, and you just accept that. Whereas real life, that just doesn't happen. You know, so um, so yeah. So number four was happy endings. Um, number three is uh, what I've called acceptance of the impossible, and this actually comes back to Doctor Who. It's like he finds a person, takes a person to the TARDIS. They're like, "Oh, it's a time machine." All right, and off we go. And by the next episode, they're fine with that. <laughs> you know, and you see it all, all the, the time. Answer. Yeah, you see it all the time on, on a lot of stuff. It's just like the impossible happens and within, you know, five minutes, the people have just accepted that, that the impossible is real and that's all there is to it. Yeah. Whereas in real life, if you suddenly discovered that, you know, that time travel was real, it, it would freak you out. Like it would because the, the questions that it poses and the, the, the way it would just mess with your head. You wouldn't be over that in a couple of minutes. Like, it would really weigh on you. And, and you see that all the time with all of these sort of things. It's like, ah, aliens come down. It's like, hey, look, aliens have come down. Well, all right, off we go then into the story. You know, I understand it from a narrative perspective. You don't want people dwelling on this sort of stuff because it will derail the story. But, yeah, acceptance of the impossible. It's just something that I just run with. <laughs> My number two uh, is actually an extrapolation on what uh, Krista was saying about Clark Kent's glasses, and that's just secret identities. It wouldn't take long for most people to be able to figure out who these people are. Yeah. 
You know, Luke and I have used the Batman example in our personal discussions. You look at Batman, high-tech gadgetry, he'd need a truckload of money, he'd need to... Pay, like, in a while, you would narrow it down to the billionaires in Gotham, yeah. and then you just backtrack and go, all right, which one had a horrible experience in their past? Oh, look, here's a guy that saw his parents killed when he was 12. That's who Batman is. And then you would be able to find that, you know... There's Donald a, Trump a, is Batman! The, yeah, look, it's... <laughs> Donald Trump is Batman. There's a, trend, there's a trend at the moment in comics nowadays, though, where they, they know who the person is, and then don't yeah. reveal it or don't yeah. believe it or something well, like that. it's interesting that, that most of the... Which most of the movies, Yeah. It's interesting that most of the movies have just done away with the secret identities. Yeah. You know, especially the Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, and really, in the TV shows, I mean, the Flash and Arrow, their identities are the worst kept secrets in the, in the universe, I think. It's, it seems like just about everybody knows that, that now, except the general populace. But but you just, you just accept in comics... That a character's going to go... And also, the, 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 the psychology behind it. Like, seriously, if I gained superpowers and I was going to be a superhero, I would tell the people that I trusted that I was a superhero so that they would know what... So if, if I was over at their place one day or I'm out on a date with, you know, with somebody and I'm like, oh, look, I've got to go. I'm not going to make up some ridiculous excuse. I'm just going, oh, look, there's something horrible happening. I've got to go and use my superpowers to save them, you know. Sorry, we've got to stop the podcast now because I'm going to go and save the day. Like... Yeah, so that, that's kind of an extensive... But secret identities in general, you just accept them, in, especially in comics. To be fair to, um, to Clark Kent, Lois Lane is a reporter. Lois Lane if, should if have he, worked this out he, long ago. Yeah. But, but if he reveals his identity to Lois Lane, she's probably then obligated to print it. Well, it's funny you said that, because that just happened. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, yet, and yet it didn't in the old DC universe. No, in the, in the new 52 universe, that's exactly what she found out who he was and revealed it to the world. Yep. Back to my number one. My number one... Now, I've actually listed it as radiation. Yeah. But I, I suppose it kind of goes to what you were saying about the parts and the light travel and the TARDIS in this. Like, and that's the, the, the pseudoscience that they use to explain away things. I love the pseudoscience, like the Heisenberg compensators and that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, reversing I applied the polarity. This, <laughs> yeah, reversing the polarity is a classic. I applied it to radiation in comic books and movies, especially where it doesn't kill you, it gives you superpowers or turns you into a giant rampaging monster. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, and it doesn't matter what form of radiation it is, whether it's cosmic rays or gamma rays or, I don't know, some radioactive spider that somehow manages to bite you before it dies. Like, radiation is so much cooler in, uh, in you know, fantasy worlds. Um, or, you know, being struck by lightning, which at the very least will paralyze you, put you in a coma, or potentially kill you. Nope, you'll get superpowers or something. Um, but it's that, just that pseudoscience in general. Um, and I, I love it. I love the ridiculous science. Yeah, because it also gives, um, you know, going back to the Martian, it also gives more credence to the actual science approaches that other things take. Mm. But I just love the stupid pseudoscience, and I'm willing to accept the most ridiculous, you know, faux scientific explanation for something just to get past it and move on with the story. So that's my top five. Awesome. Luke? Okay, following on from what um, uh, Richo said with the, the, the gun jamming, I'm going to go f- uh, with gun battles and even probably fights in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking about your big war battles or you know your epic Lord of the Rings style battles because they you know they work that stuff out. What I'm talking about, uh, you know, yeah, guys, cr- you guys either crush behind you know the most ridiculous, um, ridiculously thin form of shielding imaginable, like say a car or something, mm-hmm. or you know plate glass occasionally. Um, 
using that as a barrier, being perfectly fine, not getting attacked by any ricochets or um, pieces of shrapnel firing from the ground or from the walls. You know, the occasional maybe, you know, slight scratch on their cheek to make it look cool. Hmm. Uh, like, say, with instant sword fights, you know, it, it, it's not the, um, the, the masses amounts of bleeding that you're getting from all the scarring, from all the nick that you've got. It's just that one fatal stab. <laughs> um, the guns never... Always running out of ammo, only when the drama requires it. Mm. Not for the four or five minutes of gunplay that you've had, where they've just magically just fired off shots on both sides. Mm. Um, not once have they stopped to. Have you seen them stop to reload? Mm. Um, they keep firing, but you know now when the hero or the villain are down to their final face-off, um, you can't have them shoot each other out. So they've got to have you know. Uh, and the classic example here is Drop Zone, mm. where Gary Busey and Wesley Snipes actually have the face-off, and both their guns are empty. Mm. Actually, Voyage is a really good example that it should run out of um, photon torpedoes well into the yes. series. Yes. <laughs> um, so the, ah, idea, the idea of not just you know the gun jamming, but gun battles in general, mm. uh, you know, we suspend our disbelief because we want to see the gunplay. Mm. Um, but they are highly improbable in the way that film and television and comics and even books um, uh, display. That's my number five. Number four is that the uh, the space the um, the all encompassing space agency. Um, is always going to be a force for good. You know, mm. your Lensmans are a force for good. Um, your, um, your Green Lantern Corps are going to be a force for good. Federation. Federation. Well, not, not so much governments, which is what the Federation mm. is, because then the upside, and that's that is the Federation in Blank 7, which is... Um, but I'm talking about, uh, a, you know, the peacekeeping force that's in the galaxy mm. that have, you know, an alien influence of some kind always operating on the side of right. Mm. Um... You know, we never see an all-company powerful space agency enforcing law for, you know, the bad guys without the other, without the good version of that being introduced first. Okay. Well, um, there's the Empire, but that's all political. As you no, say, in that, yeah. If we're using Star Wars, I'd say the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the Je- you know, the Jedi being good. We don't have, you know, a conglomerate of Sith Lords. Um, but there's the rule of two, look. Yes, I know the rule. Yes, that's my point. Um, <laughs> right. You know, we don't have like a, a an army of Sith lords uh, patrolling the galaxy. You know, enforcing the law as they see fit. It's the Jedi Knights who are enforcing the law for good. Okay. Number three is that as soon as you introduce the impossible into the universe, uh, or into you know, particularly a superhero universe, suddenly the impossible has always been there, and it just magically springs to light. You know, for instance, a superhero gains their powers, um, and then su- and, you know, it's for whatever reason, whether it's science or magic, and then suddenly. Everyone else, you know, supervillains and other superpowered beings instantly appear as well. For generally, back in the sixties, for no apparent reason. These days, they try and create, um, say, you know, the particle accelerator in the Flash mm. as the reason as to why there are superpowers in the universe. But, for instance, when the Fantastic Four appeared, um, you know, suddenly the Fantastic Four gained their powers, and then suddenly the Mole Man. Suddenly, there's the Mole Man under the under the world. Mm. Um, so, for every superhero, there's got to be a supervillain. Yeah, and it's kind of like it's more a case of well, if you've introduced this this, this one here, the impossible just doesn't happen straight away. Mm. Um, so there was no mole man attacks until the Fantastic Four appeared in order to be able to battle the mole man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I gotcha. Um, and you know the you know but on both sides, you know uh, yeah. the Flash, you know the Flash gains his powers and is going up against people who fire you know guns with. Um, you know, guns that shoot cold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and the weird villains there. And, you know, Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man shows up. You know, you've got the Camille the first time, but then he fights, you know, Sandman and Dr. Octopus. Yeah. Um, and what have you. So the idea of the impossible being, you know, the, the, the possibility of catalyst for the other impossibilities straight away. Um, 
Number number two is the last minute save. I'm looking directly at Han Solo when I point this one. <laughs> yes, it's been set up that he's going through a bit of a, a bit of a crisis at this point. He's going to come back, but he comes back right at the moment when Vader is about to close in on Luke, and that Luke needs to fire the photon torpedoes to destroy the Death Star. So it's the timing yeah. of that moment. You know, gotcha. the, it's the Deus Ex Machina, the, the last minute save, and it's rampant throughout. Back to the Future has it, but Back to the Future has it as a build-up of drama rather than you know the all rather than the last thing that needs to happen um so the last minute save is probably you know one and my last one is um when a time traveler has gone back in time made a change of some description and then go back into the future or back into what their what is their present day and are surprised by the change yeah for instance marty mcfly being the obvious one um you know seeing that his family is actually successful. But instead of um, the relativistic effects of time travel kicking in, he doesn't remember them being successful up until he goes back into the time, goes back to his um, to 1985, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. it's all a big shock to him. Yeah, yeah, it's all a big shock. Time Cop has the same one. His family has been dead for the entire film. Wait, so Back to the Future, you're saying, you're saying he, should, he should not be shocked when he gets to the future and that they're now successful? Yeah, they're not successful until he makes them successful. Yes, but um, for the and during that period, he is out of time. Yeah, but for the paradigm to work, really, what he should, you know, he should be going back in back to 1985. Yeah, and it not being quite so shocking for him. But that's not how time travel works. It they're is. only they're only successful because he done it, done what he did in the past. But no, no, but and then creates an alternate timeline. But he hasn't actually. They're not the reason why he's gone back in time, though. No, no, he's gone back in time. So, you can, so all that still works. They're successful because of what of what he did when he went back in time. Yeah. So he influences his father in order to then stand up the way he does and that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. So he can't remember something that he never experienced. So when he gets there, it's a but new the, but, experience for him. But my point is, but being it's the same that, for everybody else. But my point being is that it should actually be, you know, it shouldn't be a new experience for him. The whole, the whole idea of the alternate time, you know, you, that you're, what you're saying there, you're basically talking more about the multiverse more than anything else. Yeah. Um, whereas we're talking about, you know, uh, a linear timeline. We're not but talking about. But that's not how. Uh, that's, yeah, but, yeah, but that's, so, not, so, so that's not, even, not even how time travel in the Back of the Future series works. Uh, I see what it's not linear. It's not linear time. He's created an alternate universe. Ah, then if that's the case, if he's created an alternate universe, then there should be a Marty McFly in there already that he encounters. Good point. Yeah. So, so what, what you're saying is, is it, <laughs> like when he gets back to 1985, he should be remembering yeah. the the new past he's created. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. I, I see. What you're saying. I, it's that's, that's not how movie time travel works, though. So okay. that's, 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 that's what you're saying. That's, that's, that's what you're giving me. I that's, think that's, the real yeah. the real surprise yeah. in Back to the Future is actually in Back to the Future Two when a change happens in the past again and he goes to the future and he's actually surprised that time that the change is going because he's already experienced yeah. it once. It's like, come on, dude. You've come already, on, buddy. You've already seen how this happens. He's not the brightest bulb, buddy. Like, no, that is true. The other one I had was Time Cop where the family yeah. had been dead for the entire film yeah. and he's gone back in time and he's saved them he's come back, and he's come back. Gone yeah. back. And, you know, he knows he saved them and he's gone back and he's still surprised that, you know, his wife and son are still alive. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's, that John, that's John Claude Van Damme. Yeah, but I think that's a better example because Time Cop <laughs> yeah. is actually like trained to do this. Like yeah. he knows yeah, what the, the he's, yeah, he's got the it. knowledge that Marty does. Like Marty travels through time by mistake. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, and as you say, isn't exactly <laughs> the smartest bulb, uh, the brightest so, bulb. In the yeah, um, yeah. Whereas Time Cop, 
I mean, he's time cop. He job. should know yeah. all of this. <laughs> You're a time cop. Anyway, okay, yeah, that, that's a good one, actually. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that got me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that was a good one. You're welcome. I do count with him sometimes. <laughs> all the time. All these years is awesome. Let's uh, finish up with coming soon. In cinemas, November 26th, we get By the Sea. Uh, Which I'm assuming takes place by the sea. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> the marketing department money at work. Uh, Creed, which is the, the next slight Rocky film where it's uh, Apollo Creed's son. Not the Winged Rock Band. No. Oh, that, uh, so it's that Apollo Creed's son Stallone being trained by, by Rocky. Yeah. yeah. It is actually a Rocky Universe film, officially. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, the trailer was pretty good. Got the young, the young man from Fantastic Four in it. Uh, Hotel Transylvania 2 for the kiddies because we're getting up to kiddie season yeah uh, and that sounds slightly dodgy yeah <laughs> to kiddie season that is because you have a How dodgy mind school holidays what's well, kiddie film season as well I was saying hmm. you people are sick <laughs> sick in the head uh, and uh, Free Halt which is um, a story about a a lesbian uh, a lesbian couple is the the, the uh, where one of them is uh, dying, I think. I think she's dying. Anyway, she's basically she wants her insurance payout to be paid to her partner, right? And they're basically refusing because it's not a legal union. Ooh, topical, yeah. yeah. So it's um, it's I mean it's Julianne Moore and uh, Alan Page. It's uh, oh, cool. So yeah, so it looks quite interesting. I'm sure it will be controversial. And it's based on true story, I think. I, yeah. You have to assume. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, coming soon for episode 170, which brings us to a close. Thank you very much for joining us. It was a, a spirited discussion. I don't know if Richard and I are still friends. Are we still friends, Dave? Now that you've, now that you know, I like to beat kids. Look, uh, you're <laughs> kitty season. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> kitty season. It's it kitty be, it beating be, season. It should be like uh, what's that film where John Coleman has been hunted. Um, uh, hard target. Hard target. It's like kitty season. Hard target. It's just chasing up a whole bunch of kids. Just trying to kitty season. Rabbit season. <laughs> paddles. Big big wooden paddles. But you only got. But you can only do it for one night. But one night what only. Was that? What was that? The purge. The purge. You like the purge? You're allowed to like go with wacky kids. Have you, but said, only for have one you night. said that? Yeah. I, I didn't like the first one, but I did quite like the second one. I actually didn't mind the first one. Yeah. Anyway. So no, I, I haven't seen the second one. So, so. we are still friends, Richard. Yeah. Well, well I mean, we never were. Oh, I got a second. I've got footage that Cut says otherwise, Dave. Uh, so, uh, burp, 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 burp. It's, uh, it's me and the crew, Richard. Your good personal friend, Richard. <laughs> you got a friend in me. <laughs> Look, I'm the I'm the harshest critic from the alternate timeline. <laughs> um, the one where, you know, it's revealed that uh, David is in fact a left wing. <laughs> Imagine... An alternate timeline where Luke is the like most lenient critic and loves everything. Hi, I'm Luke. I'm the nicest critic. <laughs> I give Starship Troopers five looks because gosh darn is it entertaining. Yeah, but how about those Transformer, Transformer films? Oh, they're absolutely marvellous. They're Michael Bay. <laughs> He's the best director in the world. <laughs> hey, Crystal. I'm, I'm not. I can't see. I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> You're not Crystal. I'm not a Crystal, no. No. You're, you're sleazy C. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.